self-creation and the limitless void of dissociation. The, as if personality, psych read. McFarland Solomon H., 2004. Self-creation and the limitless void of dissociation. The, as if personality. The Journal of Analytical Psychology, 49, 5, 635 to 656. Self-creation and the limitless void of dissociation. The, as if personality. Hester McFarland Solomon. The author discusses the basis of her notion of the, as if personality, as observed across a number of patients and supervised patients in intensive, long-term analytic treatment. In this composite clinical picture, a grouping of elements that form a particular kind of defense of the self is identified in certain patients with an exceptional capacity for creative engagement in the world, surpassing expectations given their background. The picture includes the presence of physical breakdown and illness, as psychic suffering arising from early narcissistic wounding and from a physical, emotional and or sexual abusive familial environment was held for too long in bodily memory but not in mind. A distinction is made between the, as if, personality, the persona and the false self. The, as if, personality concerns the action of defensive dissociation deriving from very early experiences of internalizing the presence of an absent object, creating the sense of an internal void at the core of the self. At the same time, the self is capable of acts of self-creation through a succession of identifications and internalizations with other sources of environmental nourishment, which substitute for, and are constructed around, the original sense of internal emptiness. Thus are restored, but only up to a point, the resources of the originally diminished self. Until these resources have been used up, the self is often able to excel in activities to an exceptional degree. The countertransference is shown to be the means of both useful but often perilously obtained clinical experience and information, supporting the work along the hazardous analytic journey. Introduction In this paper I discuss a particular state of the self, which I think of as a defense of the self, and which I have come to call the, as if, personality. This derives from work I have done with a number of patients whom I have treated or supervised in intensive, long-term analytic work. I began to notice a recognizable pattern and shape to the psychic life and personal histories in patients who, despite disturbed backgrounds, nevertheless had managed to become high and valuable achievers in the outside world, creative people making substantial and valid contributions of quality and distinction to their profession or field of work. At a certain moment, however, either just before or during their analysis, and it might be their second or third analysis, they become stricken with an overwhelming sense that whatever internal resources they had been able to find to sustain them along their developmental path had now been used up, and the self had finally to face a long repressed but often suspected, underlying internal reality, a hauntingly ever-present background sense of living in a void or facing a vast emptiness, an absence devoid of those resources formerly used to nourish and sustain the self. Instead, a primary existential anguish or panic, a sense that life was no longer sustainable on the basis that it had been lived, would often be accompanied by a real physical illness or dysfunction that put survival into question. My experience with such patients has accumulated slowly but, in retrospect, steadily over a decade or so, and my thinking about them has developed out of earlier clinical writings, especially and. Latterly, I have conceptualized this accumulated experience into a definable clinical state, with a cluster of recurring features. I have presented these ideas in various professional venues, including in an ongoing clinical discussion group of English and French colleagues, whose responsive input I greatly appreciate. The task of the group was to attempt to grapple with work at the edge of analytic understanding where accepting, tolerating and exploring the nature of the analytic engagement, which sometimes was experienced as non-engagement, was often felt to be an experience so powerful as to test in dramatic ways the analyst's understanding and the analytic boundaries. The analyst's clinical capacity and technique, and her theoretical understanding, are then brought sharply into question. This sense of being tested to an extreme also suggested that certain pathologies of the self were being explored that arose from a similar experience of the patient's very survival being put into question, psychologically and or physically. Phrases like, working at the coalface, at the edge, in extremis, in a void, in no man's land, to refer to the quality of work with such patients, were expressed. A paper by Francois Martin Vallas provided the starting point of the group's clinical exploration. George Bright subsequently presented a case in which he described a sense of being in a, no man's land, to which I had a spontaneous association to the phrase in, 
as if, personality, to refer to the quality of the patient's psychic reality. I myself felt very engaged with this phrase as it seemed to organize my thoughts and perceptions about many experiences of clinical work that I had been thinking about for a long time. I began to formulate what I now think of as an observable, clinical fact. The, as if, personality, and then began to examine the relevant literature for other references to the concept of the, as if, personality and similar clinical profiles. Having offered this brief history and contextualization of my personal experience of coming to think about the, as if, personality, it is now appropriate to proceed to a review of how the term the, as if, personality has been used already in analytic and psychoanalytic literature. I will also want to make a clear distinction between the notion of the, as if, personality, the Jungian notion of the persona, and Winnicott's concept of the, false self. History of the, as if, personality is a, psycho-analytic concept. There is no long-term or coherent theory building around the concept of the, as if, personality in psychology, psychotherapy, psychoanalysis or analytical psychology. However, a computer search for references to the, as if, personality in both the titles and the texts of psychology, in general, and psychoanalytic and analytical psychology texts in particular revealed numerous entries, around 300 in fact. These were mostly from the work of non-analytically oriented psychologists and psychotherapists, and seemed to be used spontaneously by the various authors in their attempts to find a phrase to convey an evocative but variable quality in the work they were describing. These would occur with very little or no cross-referencing, hence they were one-off usages of an evocative phrase without building on the work of previous authors, obviously reflective of the subjective experience of the unlinked-up quality of their patients' lived lives. In psychoanalytic literature, the term, the, as if, personality, has appeared in various forms scattered over a number of decades, again without any real cohesion in terms of theory building. The term does not appear in Laplanche and Pontalis's 1973, The Language of Psychoanalysis, the important resource regarding the evolution of Freud's concepts, nor in a dictionary of Kleinian thought. However, three psychoanalytic authors of note have used this term, and I propose to look at these three more closely, albeit briefly discussed a type of patient she called, as if, in which the individual's emotional relationship to the outside world and to his own ego appears impoverished or absent, Ibit, page 301. The patient appears to be unaware of this lack or may complain of feelings of depersonalization and emptiness. Deutsch explains her use of the term, as if, thus. My only reason for using so unoriginal a label for the type of person I wish to present is that every attempt to understand the way of feeling and manner of life of this type forces on the observer the inescapable impression that the individual's whole response to life has something about it which is lacking in genuineness and yet outwardly runs along, as if, it were complete. Ibid, page 302. Deutsch emphasizes that such personalities are, intellectually intact, gifted, and bring great understanding to intellectual and emotional problems, Ibid, page 303. However, she states that, although they produce good work it is based on imitation rather than true creativity, just as in their effective relationships there is a lack of true warmth, Ibid. Page 303. This is a picture that resembles in part notion of the false self, of which more shortly, and in part concept of the normotic personality, neither of which pertains to the, as if, quality that I am describing. Deutsch does emphasize the aspect of the self's adaptation through multiple identifications and mimicry. Although the element of multiple identifications is related to the self's attempts to resource the personality I call the, as if, I have not seen in the patients I have treated or supervised under this rubric the, sham existence, Ibid. Page 315, with the emotional and moral impoverishment which Deutsch rather censoriously describes. Again, although Deutsch refers to the deficits incurred when the self identifies with a devalued and sexualized object, I do not consider that this adequately covers the full etiology or description of the internal psychic world that I wish to present here. However, she does helpfully distinguish the, as if, from the hysterical personality, with which it can be confused, and she does emphasize the narcissistic aspects of the, as if, although in referring to this aspect she adopts a rather deprecating tone, suggesting a moral deficit in the patient, rather than the result of early narcissistic damage, as I would see it. She also identifies the intellectual and gifted aspect, but does not account for such traits in their etiology. More recently, two British psychoanalysts have addressed the, as if, personality in different ways. 
Ruth considers that the as-if construction is similar to a false self insofar as it is a response to a lack of maternal devotion or an alpha father. This results in fragmentation which becomes precariously enclosed in a false structure. Based on a falsely idealized object, Ibid, page 115. She employs the term, splicing, for the defensive longitudinal splitting that characterizes the destructive attacks on the analysis that lead to the sense of meaninglessness in the analytic work, in her view the result of the operation of minus K in Bion sense. Riesenberg Malcolm suggests that the underlying pathology is envy and the internalization of the mother's pathology, but she avows that she is left with questions as to how the particular type of splitting she calls, splicing, establishes itself as a primary way of functioning. By contrast, my understanding of this clinical situation is based on a view that the sense of impoverishment of the self is due to the effects of dissociation from traumatizing experiences with an original longed for and idealized other. Dissociation is a survival strategy, necessary to maintain the sense of intactness of the self by separating the self from its noxious experience, which may include the experience of the absence of the other, but it leaves at the core of the self a void where the dissociated experience ought to be lodged. If and when the experience is eventually retrieved, the self is then left to re-experience the original trauma in an acute and vivid way. I will take leave of Riesenberg Malcolm by quoting an observation she made when working with a patient with holes in her sweater who was speaking in a particularly grandiose way. Her thought as the patient spoke was, are holes the substance of this garment, and will the wool hold them together? Ibid, page 115. This observation is emblematic of what I am seeking to evoke in using the term, as if to denote the psychic reality of this type of personality in all its precariousness as well as its potential for true creativity. In, the suspension of belief in the, as if, syndrome, describes an important aspect of the, as if, makeup when he notices that in the face of traumatizing experiences, both internal and external, the, as if, patient maintains a state of, either, and, remain, ing, poised between what they fear in their own minds and what they fear in the world outside them, ibid, page 61. Consequently afraid of both projection and interjection, they are refugees from the external and internal world. Their refuge is, what Winnicott called transitional space, the resting place of illusion, dot dot, page 123 making of, this resting place or reservation a permanent home, up. Sit, page 61. This kind of dissociation, or disavowal as he describes it, from unacceptable reality in favor of practical fictions, results in what he calls a, never-never land, an illusion of infinite postponement, ibit, page 63. This is done through the maintenance of a substitute internal holding environment which uses the principle of inverse symmetry, to accommodate opposing ideas without reconciling them, ibit, page 68, as both subject and object are diametrically split and identified with. By this means, the patient forms, a half-identity and projective identification with one object and another with its negative, ibit, page 63. In my view, this may be more the result of the patient's identification with the pathologizing dynamics of the internalized parental couple, locked in an unconscious cross-identificatory defensive illusion, or a shared negative unconscious fantasy, as considered, for example, by. Later in this paper I will address, albeit briefly, the now considerable literature from the fields of neuroscience and attachment theory which offer new insights into the clinical picture I am describing. Here I wish to mention the work of, a psychoanalytic psychotherapist who specifically addresses the, as if, personality, reframing it as a feature of multiple personality disorder and dissociative identity disorder, MPD, did. Mullen quotes reappraisal of the, as if, personality as involving a, severe identity disturbance, built around, primitive types of identification, including imitation, which, prevents a sense of continuity with self across time, quoted in, page 123. Sherwood and Cohen locate the etiology of the, as if, personality in a particular kind of breakdown in the mother-infant mirroring relationship where the child mirrors the mother's often depressed self but does not receive back a mirroring of his or her own aliveness. They also indicate the involvement in some, few, cases of abusive family backgrounds. Malin emphasizes that the, pretend, aspect of the, as if, personality, people who are, not what they seem, is a survival technique, in a world which has not provided support for living authentically, and warns against dismissing the pain and complexity of the pathology of such patients. Although he does not consider that childhood trauma and or abuse are always involved in the etiology of the, as if, personality, 
he sees loneliness, childhood depression and acute innate sensitivity, linked to an autistic or schizophrenic vulnerability, as possible underlying factors. Amongst Jungian writers, has discussed John Steiner's notion of psychic retreats, 1993, a self-care system affording illusory protection from undue psychotic or depressive anxiety. She notes that through counter-transferential identifications and the analysis of the, as if, personality the analyst risks feeling like an, as if, analyst herself. I will elaborate the importance of the counter-transference in working with, as if, patients later. Has likened the, as if, personality to a, cloned, self in which the identificatory processes led to an internalization of the mother's projection of her own split-off, bad aspects in her child which she then attacked or abused. Psychoanalytic psychotherapist Nina Farhi, influenced by the work of Winnicott, considers that imitation lies at the heart of the experience of an early catastrophic lack of attunement, but that the life drive can allow the individual to tap into idiosyncratic modalities of creativity as a survival technique. The, as if, personality and Jung's concept of the persona. Jung identified the persona, as one of the major archetypes in his system of the archetypes of the collective unconscious. The persona is thought of as having a more social than personal psychic function in that it is the configuration that the self presents to the world. It is therefore considered to be the most exterior in the constellation of archetypes, with the self envisaged both at the core and as the entirety of the person. Although not inherently pathological, the persona is an adaptation of the self to the demands of the external world. However, Jung stressed that it can become pathological when there is too great an identification with the persona. He stated that, the persona is that which in reality one is not, but which oneself as well as others think one is, para. 221. In discussing the use of masks in totem ceremonies, he pointed out that they contributed to enhancing or changing the personality through the possession of special ritual secrets, thus removing the person from the collective psyche through, magical prestige, para. 237. Insofar as the persona is essentially an aspect of the collective psyche, it is, a mask that feigns individuality, making others and oneself believe that one is individual, whereas one is simply acting a role through which the collective psyche speaks, ibit. Para. 245. For Jung, the persona was a secondary reality, a compromise formation. A semblance. Two-dimensional, ibid, para. 246, but at the same time the person has chosen the particular identification. It will therefore also have personal meaning. This choice has unconscious roots that carry elements of individuality, ibid, para. 247. In this paper I seek to elaborate Jung's view of the persona by exploring the conditions that lead to the construction of the, as if personality is crucial to the survival of the self in a situation where the self has not met a sufficiently well-attuned environment. In such a situation there follows the reintegration of an experience of emptiness and a sense of a void, which is lodged at the center of the personality. In adapting to this, the self in successive de-integration seeks out experiences that are more syntonic and promising to reintegrate and identify with. There then follows a cumulative series of internalizations and identifications, building up a sense of internal resources which the self then uses as if its own. However, at the core of the self there is a feeling of faute de mur, as one patient called it, a sense of this internal state of affairs as a second-best solution in the face of the empty and absent void that is its alternative. The, as if, personality and Winnicott's concept of the false self. The, as if, personality differs from concept of the false self in important ways. The false self arises in order to protect a true self that is in jeopardy of losing the sense of its own viability through the pressures of a hostile environment, usually of a pathologizing family. It is a compliant adaptation to the outside world, and overlays a sense of the self's identity, which is in peril. When the infant's spontaneous gesture is unmet, the false self develops as a way of hiding the true self or finding a way of enabling the true self to live. Ibid. Page 148. A false self-construction is not a substitute for the true self, but rather serves as a protective covering to it. The, as if, personality, however, is constructed from very early experiences of attempting to establish a self in face of a blank or inappropriate environment that is so misattuned to the subjective reality of the self that it feels unseen and or noxiously related to. As a result, the self seeks sources of nourishment from the wider environment through a series of identifications. For Winnicott, the false self hides the true self but the sense of a true self, 
whether conscious or not, remains. He pointed to a particular danger when the false self becomes identified with high intellectual activity, which is then dissociated from the person's psychological existence. Ibit. Page 144. The, as if, personality is also usually characterized by a highly developed intellect or other valuable creative attributes and also usually suffers from states of mind-body dissociation, often leading to real physical pathology. However the dissociation can be understood as a direct result of the traumatic responses to abuse and or neglect. In my view the, as if personality almost always includes a high level of mental functioning with a high degree of dissociation from the person's psychological reality. Dissociation was a survival response at the physical and psychological levels. The precocious internal constructs are then understood not so much as false, but rather as constructed. The self's attempts to create an internal and external environment that is more life-supporting and narcissistically soothing than that which had been available to the self. This is a genuine creation on the part of the self and has to do with survival, including the preservation of a modicum of narcissistic self-experience. Although Winnicott refers to something essentially lacking when the person is called upon to be a whole person, Ibid, pp. 142-3, his notion of the false self does not include the crucial element with respect of the internalization of the experiences of environmental failures the accumulated series of unmet and unresponded to spontaneous gestures, and the sense that all there is to internalize and identify with in the environment is a profound experience of a lifeless void. The subject of this paper, on the other hand, is an examination of what the psyche does to survive this bleak and often life-threatening experience. Both Jung and Winnicott consider the clinical instances of the persona and the false self respectively as lying on a spectrum between the extremes of a whole self-experience, i.e., no availability of a true self, at the most pathological end, and to something like appropriate socializing adaptations at the most healthy end of the spectrum. Both understood the crucial role of identification and imitation as the sources of the internal adaptive construction. The notion of the, as if personality group together the elements of a particular clinical profile to give an explanation at both psychic and somatic levels of a specific type of patient. For the, as if personality, it is a question of psychic survival. Although the self seeks out non-toxic elements in the environment with which to identify, internalizing their experience in order to build up a more benevolent and creative internal psychic structure, nonetheless, there is always a sense of emptiness or void at the center of this construction which does not lead to a sense of secure self-identity and secure attachment relationship. Successive to integrative experiences have met with emptiness, blankness, or absence, an experience which is then internalized through the processes of deintegration and reintegration as described by, creating the sense of the emptiness at the center. Indeed a powerful feature of the, as if personality is a haunting repetition in the individual's history and current life of exactly those traumatizing situations that created the original dissociative responses. In the case of the false self, however, the deintegration of the self has met with a series of harsh or inappropriate expectations from the outside world which it then seeks to protect itself against by creating a false structure of compliance. A note on confidentiality, consent, and methodology. Writing about, as if patients bring with it a number of particular risks. Even given their stated consent for the analyst to write about and publish their material, because so much of the pathology of the patient has to do with the loss of trust towards an important other, the project of using their material in case presentations is particularly perilous. It is my usual practice when asking permission to use a patient's material in a publication to offer to let them read the text if they wish to do so, prior to their final agreement for me to go ahead with publication. Besides the requirement to seek permission to publish, this works as a kind of shock absorber, affording time and space for the patient and analyst to explore the effects of the analyst writing about the patient, a process that of course will be ongoing. In the case of, as if patients, there is an increased possibility of two risks in particular. The first is that they will give consent in an, as if way, based on idealization of and identification with the analyst. The second is that they may come across the published material, either because they already work in the field or have ready access to information about the author over the internet and in other ways. For these reasons, I have decided to present a composite patient, whom I will call Clara and who will carry my representation of the etiology and psychic state of the, as if, personality. A further reason for doing this, besides that of confidentiality and the protection of the patient's trust and my wish to avoid risking a sense of betrayal, 
is that I am writing about my own cumulative clinical experience which I have already begun to address in previous publications using a number of patients' material as mentioned above. Of course, presenting a composite patient which will represent in aggregate form the material of various patients under the same conceptual umbrella has its own drawbacks, which have already been considered by writers concerned about issues of consent and publication, such as, and, but it is not possible in the context of this article to pursue these issues. A further point should be considered regarding the patient group under discussion. Many of the patients who have gone into composing, Clara, were or are in the broad psychotherapy, healthcare and education professions, some are artists and scientists. All have made important contributions to their field. A certain level of sophistication, knowledge of and interest in the analytic enquiry may be an important component in acting as an auxiliary holding environment for accomplishing the analytic task, reinforcing the experience of the analyst's holding capacities, in the face of often unconscionable psychic pain, fear, pressure and panic. It was familiarity with and overall confidence in the analytic task that contributed to their capacity to tolerate the sheer terror and deep distress that they were being caused by bringing to mind former traumatizing experiences and of testing the analytic relationship and container for its usefulness and trustworthiness. In previous papers, I have addressed the particular benefits of the containing aspects of the internal marriage of the analyst to the analytic attitude that represents an experience of a nurturing couple for the patient. As much for the analyst as for the patient, the containment of the analyst in her marriage to the analytic attitude gave structure, protection, meaning and confidence to the joint analytic endeavor, supporting the hope that investment in it could bring therapeutic results, although certainly there was no guarantee of this at the outset. It made it possible to tolerate the real existential anguish, doubt and sheer not knowing on the part of both patient and analyst that were required in risking the eventual outcome. Introducing the, as if, personality. The, as if, personality can be thought of as consisting of several components that appear to cluster together in the personality, much like the elements of a compound chemical. Describe the, core complex, as a cluster of elements found in the perversions and psychopathic behavior. My view focuses on a different profile from that designated by Glasser's core complex, but I find the cluster model helpful in listing the component elements, some of which overlap with the core complex. Typically, in the, as if, situation, the cluster forms into a disturbing psychosomatic, pocket, or, space, within the personality that appears to function well, often very creatively, seemingly separately from the, as if, area. However, the whole personality is certainly deeply affected by its, as if, component, suffering its dire consequences, particularly in terms of physical ill health, psychic distress, and difficulty in maintaining prolonged intimate relations with another. The, as if, patient can suffer from a limited capacity of transcendent functioning, integration and individuation, since at the level of the, as if, there is a deficit of symbolic function, despite the availability of this function in other respects, particularly in the capacity to work with sophistication and finesse. The consequent difficulties in the analytic relationship can be quite acute, and of a certain quality and dynamic that may be experienced as intractable because inevitably the characteristics of the pathologizing environment will be experienced and responded to by the analyst. Because the substantive reality of the existence of the patient's self was eschewed by their important others, the other was experienced as extremely poisonous to the self, or as a bizarre object that was liable to appropriate a part of the self and render it alien or mad. In the analytic situation, the analyst can be experienced as liable to behave in a similar way. Furthermore, the fundamental rule of abstinence will be likely to be called into question for two important reasons. Firstly, often in the history of, as if, patients there have been experiences of abuse, physical or emotional violence, or both, or else the witnessing of abuse within the family context. By the nature of the transference and countertransference relationship these themes will re-emerge in order to be dealt with. Equally, the rule of abstinence will be evoked between patient and analyst because the felt needs of the abused and deprived infantile aspects of the patient yearn for those physical and psychological experiences of attunement that are syntonic with the self. These experiences had not been satisfactorily met, and instead other, more noxious experiences had supervened, forcing the self to erect strategies of self-care. If an important part of the work with, as if patience consists in dealing with these noxious deficits and the needs of the small child for secure physical and psychological containment, then it is not surprising that the wish for physical as much as for psychological contact between the analytic pair will be felt intensely. 
At the same time, a part of the urgency of the felt need will belong to that aspect of the patient's experience that came from the abuse. Much careful analytic work is necessary in distinguishing and managing these needs, which are felt as life and death emergencies that could lead to psychic, or physical, dissolution. One of the most prevalent of the self-care defenses is dissociation, with the concomitant effect that the memory of the trauma is stored not in mind but in the body, particularly in the central nervous system and those structures and systems that deal with self-regulation and self-protection, such as the neurological and autoimmune systems. The analyst is tested in the transference relationship to discover if this important other is trustworthy or is yet another who will betray, abuse or otherwise endanger the patient. This possibility is watched for with enormous vigilance, to the extent of constantly anticipating re-traumatization. The intensity of hypervigilance persistently threatens the progress of the analytic work and the patient's capacity to trust the analyst, since insight into the coping strategies adopted by the psyche in order to survive a traumatizing past and increased capacity for secure object attachment threaten to dismantle those strategies, with resulting psychic panic, as they are now being called into question and possibly jettisoned. In a terrible vicious circle, analytic gains are felt as carrying increased risks of re-traumatization as the self becomes increasingly permeable to influence from the environment. Dissociation and the embodied self Perhaps the most central factors concerning the as-if personality are focused around the internal management of psychic functions regulating the processes of internalization, identification and dissociation in relation to the embodied self. As analysts, the notion of the embodied self is finally and firmly embedded in our understanding about early experience and its links to what happens in the consulting room. We know through the work of now numerous writers not only from our own analytic disciplines but also from the fields of psychoanalytic intersubjectivity, child development, attachment theory and the neurosciences, that lack of appropriate early caretaker relatedness leads to multiple deficits, neurophysiologically and psychologically, that have cumulative and interactive correlates at the emotional, cognitive, behavioral, relational and neurophysiological levels. This has already been addressed extensively by, to list a few outstanding contributors. In this context I would like to mention in particular the work of two Jungians, and who, through their different approaches, have each made important links between Jungian analytic theory, attachment theory and the benefits of neuroscientific understanding to show the real and serious effects of these early deficits, including their eventual import in the analytic encounter. The integration of attachment theory and developmental neurobiology in the work of has achieved a far-reaching contribution in the understanding of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. The description of the underlying processes of dysregulation of the right brain following early relational trauma is particularly relevant to the present discussion. He emphasizes the role of the biochemical changes leading to hyperarousal and hypervigilance on the one hand, and to the parasympathetic mechanisms of shutdown, avoidance and dissociation on the other, both of which are largely determined by right hemisphere systems in the developing brain. This pattern of traumatic dysregulation has direct consequences for understanding the transference under transference dynamics in the treatment of the as-if personality. In Shore's view, the effectively charged traumatic memory is a re-evocation of a prototypical disorganized attachment transaction with a misattuning social environment that triggers an intense arousal dysregulation, Ibit, page 259. This situation underpins the experience in the transference under transference of dramatic swings between high activation and anxious phobic states and the deadening shutdown and dampening of relational effect related to withdrawal and dissociation. Into this already extant and well-documented view of the embodied self I wish to add and emphasize that for the, as if personality, the effect of early experience of an absent or unresponsive other and the exposure to abusive and hateful behavior by the other leads to neurophysiological stress and traumatic dissociative responses. Then follows the internalization of a terrifying sense of an absence, an emptiness, or a void, in that place where there had been the archetypal expectation of finding a responsive, benign other who would facilitate the self's physiological and psychological growth through good enough attunement. The ordinary roots of communication, healthy exchanges between self and other where archetypal expectations have been mediated by good enough experiences through a responsive environment and the gradual establishment of a sense of identity and of self have been massively put into jeopardy throughout early and then later development. Instead, the experience of the environment as traumatizing, abusive or abandoning have occurred to the young self prior to the self's capacity to conceive of the experience in any realistic way. 
egocentric methods of self-protection are then unavailable. This is because the abusive or deficient experiences, too high and or too low levels of physical and psychological arousal, including sexualized, eroticized arousal, and other forms of abuse, with the accompanying sense of abandonment and insecurity, have occurred before there exists sufficient capacity to process the environmental onslaught. In terms of preconception has mated with a realization precociously, and the psychosomatic system is not yet equipped developmentally to cope with or integrate it. There follows the collapse of the ordinary psychosomatic means of self-regulation. In such circumstances, for instance in the case of precocious sexual experiences in situations of childhood sexual abuse, the self's natural, imaginative self-explorative experiences in physical and psychological relation to another have been usurped in the service of another's narcissistic use of the self as an object. The resulting physiological and psychological states of hypervigilant high arousal emerge in the course of the analytic work, when the patient is bearing the agony of retrieving what had been lost to explicit memory or to memory which had been once in mind but was eschewed through denial, disavowal or repression. Introducing Clara, the self-created self. Clara sought intensive, long-term analysis, having risen rapidly in her profession over the past decade, and because of her many capacities she had taken on extensive responsibilities that she was able to handle conceptually and creatively, but which she was beginning to experience as increasingly burdensome, physically and psychologically. Despite her successes, there was a sense of not having found her real niche, the place that would afford her a sense of satisfaction and belonging at the center of her chosen field. Indeed, she was exhausted and felt ill a lot of the time. She had very little sources of physical or emotional replenishment outside of the work satisfaction that she enjoyed in the physical activities she pursued. She had won widespread recognition for the quality of her work, and she excelled in the sport of her choice. There was a high degree of narcissistic satisfaction in her achievements, which was both valid but clearly compensatory to feelings of depletion and alienation. Clara was in a relationship, which appeared, penalizing and unfulfilling, and the difficulties were compounded by her fear that she might repeat her experiences of growing up in a highly dysfunctional family. And yet she longed to have a family. She had been both neglected and sexually abused as a child, but she was aware of an overwhelming impulse to take on inappropriate tasks and responsibilities towards her family that left her feeling even more depleted and abused. She had always been exceptionally bright and gifted, and was particularly adept from childhood at compensating for the deficits of nurturing in her family by finding sources in the environment of nourishment and restoration that enhanced her intellectual and human capacities. I began to understand that she would seek out nurturing experiences in order to internalize and identify with them, so adding to her real capacities for work and relating. For example, as a young girl, she would watch romantic movies over and over again in order to hear the sound of love in people's voices and to see them relating to each other in loving ways. She saw one particular foreign language movie so often that she learned to speak that language adequately enough to pass an examination in it. She took opera records out of the library before she was in her teens in order to listen to and take in the quality and timbre of the voices, becoming familiar with a number of languages in so doing. There was an area in the local park that filled her with a sense of beauty and steadfastness. There was an important figure in childhood who performed a caring and thoughtful, if limited, parental function, a grandmother, a sibling, a cousin, a nanny, a pet. None of these figures, or experiences of culture, or of nature, could stand in for the enormity of the loss of ordinarily devoted, caring and loving parental figures, whose psychological and physical absence had created such an experience of void in Clara's inner world. But they were sufficient in catalyzing an archetypal self-experience which then made subsequent helpful deintegrating and reintegrating experiences possible thereby building up a repertoire of identificatory experiences with benign objects that could be used as vehicles to develop the self into its future, indeed, precociously so. This type of internalization and identification is emblematic of compensatory experiences that Clara was able to employ to create a self that was closer to her ego ideal than would have been possible had she remained identified with her family of origin. The clinical picture that Clara presented did not seem like a false self or have a superficial quality to it, although there were narcissistic features. But Clara was in jeopardy physically and psychologically. In fact, during the course of the analysis she fell ill with a debilitating autoimmune disease that required her to diminish her professional activities and to stop her demanding sporting activities, all of which was a source of great pain to her, 
and yet which she recognized as a necessary adjustment to the overly demanding way of living that she had required of herself previously. Clara was aware that behind her hypervigilant, overly active involvement in her various activities, she experienced a continuous sense of living in a void, a land with no topography, a fortified encampment in the middle of a no-man's land, where all around her was fog and haze, with no means available to orientate herself. Clara's mother had been emotionally and often physically unavailable, a drug taker and prone to serial relationships with violent men. She was distant and averted her eyes, literally and symbolically, as she avoided acknowledging the abuse that was happening to her daughter in her own house. The parental couple was highly dysfunctional and father was certainly not a trustworthy man, being prone to violence. He was not Clara's abuser, but she was conscious that one of the reasons she became so physically strong and adept, spending a lot of time in building herself up through sports, was to be as intimidating physically as she had learned to be emotionally. She was adept at finding ways of avoiding being in the presence of potentially threatening men as she was growing up. Later, in early adolescence, she was accosted by an intimidating man, and, after years of abuse from another family member, she found the strength to warn him if he touched her, she would kill him. The experience of early traumatization, usually sexualized, or some disastrous abandonment, is a feature of the, as-if, personality. The reality of the traumatizing experience is most often dissociated from and may be lost to memory, or, if not, it is held in memory in a way that one patient described as, eternally terrorizing. Because traumatic experience often happens before the psyche has a, preconception, of it in terms, the psyche is therefore unable to process it and is liable to store trauma in body memory, or in an unintegrated area of the psyche, a psychic, pocket, that can only be approached analytically when certain conditions and safeguards are met. For example, the pattern of Clara's analytic week would range from a dull expectancy in the first part of the week, followed by increasing excitation and disturbance, leading to a crescendo of recollection and re-experience in the presence of her analyst, a strong impulse to flight or else to powerful somatizing reactions, and eventually to a state of relative quietude over the weekend as she regained the experience of her analyst's benign containing function, safely tucked away in a pocket of time. Earlier in her analysis, this rhythmic pattern would be experienced over a whole term rather than over several months. Given this degree of distress, it is often the case that the patient is held in analysis by the conscious motivation not to pass down to their children or to important others the pathologizing tendency inherited from their family of origin. In almost every case that I have had experience of, the patient's body has had to share the burden of the traumatizing experience with the psyche. It is as if the psyche could not tolerate the full impact, or else could not make sense of the experience except by rendering it into organic form or because the traumatizing history had such real toxic effects on the physical system underpinning the self-psychological experience. I think of these physical diseases as symbolic not in the sense that psychosomatic illness used to be understood, as the physical effects of avoiding the conscious effort and pain needed to understand the psychic content, but rather because thereby the body represented to itself its own trauma and it would collapse through the consuming of its own vital resources in self-defense. Eventually these resources would dry up, and physical illness result. The symbolism lay in the fact that these were either autoimmune or neurological diseases or conditions. The body carried the physical manifestation of the unconscionable complaint in two ways. Firstly, as a self-attack, in that the traumatizing experience was like the attack on the self against which the self had no defense, breaking through the usual immunity that the self has by virtue of its being a self-regulating system responding to ordinary amounts of stress and toxicity by ordinary means available for self-hygiene. And secondly as an acknowledgement on the part of the psyche, soma system that the ways on which the self had habitually relied to deal with the effects of such trauma were no longer viable. To rely on the expenditure of prodigious amounts of the self's reserves of psychic and physical energies, along with the ongoing hypervigilance and inordinate alertness to the possibilities of re-traumatization, was no longer either possible or appropriate. Clara's inordinate efforts which had made her so successful in so many ways eventually took their toll. She was diagnosed relatively early in her analysis with the painful autoimmune disease which I have referred to. The narcissistic losses entailed in foreclosing on her high-achieving efforts and the resultant underlying toxicity, depression and despair that had always been lurking were almost intolerable when they surfaced psychically, and there were times when she was certainly not sure whether the analysis had left her in a better or worse state than before. She acknowledged that in any case she could not have carried on at the pitch she was living previously. 
Reconciliation to the current losses in her life became linked to the realization of the extent of the disastrous failures of her original environment. A further breakthrough occurred when she could really begin to know that essentially she had a benign, if ordinarily limited, analyst who would not abuse her and on whom she might attempt, at times, to feel dependent and related to. Countertransference in the role of enactments. Not surprisingly, the nature of the countertransference in the work with, as if patience is critical, both in the information about the patient's internal states which is thereby made available, but also in the dynamic between patient and analyst that can catalyst change in both benign and malign ways. Through the vehicle of projective identificatory processes, the analyst inevitably experiences at different times much of the psychological and physical contents of the, as if, patient's experience. However useful this is, it is also perilous and leaves the analyst vulnerable to being infected by the toxic contents. Due to the nature of the pathologizing history, this is liable to include psychosomatic precipitates, states of ill health, psychic numbness and fugue states related to dissociation, and openness to the possibilities of intrusion. In my work over these years, I have been prone to a number of such responses. Through my own reflection processes and the help of consultation, I hope that it has been possible to process and metabolize them sufficiently well so that neither the patient nor I are too negatively affected. Much of the work has been to distinguish and differentiate my own liability to react in certain ways particular to myself and my history from those reactions that the patient is evoking. Working to think about, as much as possible, how my responses are different from those of my patients has been essential in the internal preparation to appropriately respond to these countertransference experiences. The importance of being open to states of imaginative identification in helpful notion assists, allowing empathic understanding as well as focused thinking to enlighten what is experienced by patient and analyst alike as toxic and repelling, and therefore liable to be eschewed. This is particularly crucial when there is work to do on the retrieval of experiences of childhood sexual and other sorts of abuse, which the psychosomatic whole would naturally rather avoid, and from the experience of which there are already well-established defensive habits. If the analyst becomes aware of their own sleepiness, internal anesthetization, daydreams apparently irrelevant to the patient, or undue impulses towards the patient, then they have likely come under the influence of identificatory processes in relation to the patient's dissociative defenses. A particular sign of this is the somatic nature of the analyst's responses. Perhaps the central area of concern in the countertransference is the likelihood for unconsciously informed enactments to occur. We know that the potential for enactments in analytic work is ubiquitous, but in work with, as if patients it becomes extremely important because of the amount of inappropriate, intrusive actings out that have occurred in their backgrounds, and the hypervigilance that is experienced in the here and now lest re-traumatization recur. Has been eloquent in his evocation of the extent to which the psyche defends itself against the possibility of re-traumatization, such that it creates and identifies with an internal psychic function in the very image of the persecutor it is defending itself against. The factors that seem to be most potent here are the sexualization of object relations and the disinhibitions and intrusiveness that characterize them. In imaginative identification, the analyst becomes particularly vulnerable to a readiness to receive the hypercathected experience, whether it is extremes of idealization or deprecation. Then any word or phrase, any physical gesture or facial expression that was meant in one way is liable to be experienced as its opposite, usually sexualized or otherwise suggestive of the pathologized area of the, as if, personality. The analyst is then left with the excruciating feeling of having revealed an unconscious content or suggested a lewd meaning that did not exist in conscious thought. All this happens with split-second timing, with a sense of damage done without immediate means of repair, characteristic of the traumatizing experience itself. Of course all this is useful information about the patient's internal psychic state, but it increases the pressures experienced by the analyst in relation to the patient, which the analyst must in turn find ways of regulating so as to advance the treatment by modeling to the patient new ways of appropriate self-regulation. Concluding Remarks the group of elements that can be included in the clinical picture I have been describing under the term the, as if personality appears to be applicable to a subcategory of patients falling within the spectrum of the dissociative disorders. These can be seen as responses to a variety of traumatogenic situations to which the self responds with varying degrees of cognitive or affective dissociation. Although not all of the elements are required to form the, as if, cluster, it has been remarkable in my clinical experience to have come across patients in whom usually all appear. 
To summarize, the cluster includes the following elements. A sense of void at the center of the self. Traumatic early experience including abuse and neglect. Psychosomatic collapse, often including autoimmune or neurological pathology. Hypervigilance as a defense against the possibility of re-traumatization which also places high demands on the psychosomatic whole. High levels of creative achievement. Excessive demands on the analyst's countertransference. Working with, as if patience is a remarkable experience, where both patient and analyst feel tested but also engaged in meaningful work. Is it worth the risk? With hindsight it is possible to state that, as a minimum, there were psychic gains in all cases, greater life freedoms became available, even though total release from the deficits, impacts and exigencies of the past was too optimistic. The investment in terms of time, money and psychic suffering was certainly colossal. Translations of Abstract Lede de personalité as if, a été utilisé de facons diverses dans la literature analytique. Elle n'a si pendant jugez été l'objet d'un développement théorique basé sur un travail clinique. Loader décrit les bases de sa conception de la personnalité as if, qu'elle observait chez différents patients et dans des CAS supervisés d'un traitement analytique de longue durée. Dans cette image clinique composite, une forme de défense particulière du SOI constitué par un ensemble d'éléments. Payet etra identifiche certain patients present and un capacité exceptionnelle d'engagement créatif dans le monde, surpassant CEK l'on pare attendre atent donné leur background. L'image clinique inclet, dans le travail avec CES patients, le perition défendement physique et de troubles somatiques, l'orqu'il se met et ressentir la souffrance psychique provenant de blessures narcissiques précoces, et de vecus de bus émotionnels et, ou sexuels de l'environnement familial, souffrance trop longtemps retenu dans le mémoire corporel. Un distinction est fait entre la personnalité as if, la persona, et la faux self. Dans la personnalité as if, ce qui est l'erve est l'action d'une dissociation défensive due un vécu précoce d'internalisation de la présence d'un objet absent, ce qui met au centre du vécu du soi la sens d'une vide intérieure. En meme temps que la capacité d'actions créatrices du soi est d'agi en sétaillant sur une succession d'identifications et d'internalisations grâce à ce qui est trouvé dans l'environnement. Les vecus qui découlent de CES actions se substituent et se construisent autour du vecu initial de vide intérieur. Ainsi sont restaurés, mais seulement jusqu'à un certain point les ressources du SOI inhibés à l'origine. Tant que CES ressources ne se pas, le SOI arrive à promouvoir des activités d'excellence et un degré exceptionnel. Il est montré combien le country transfert est un des moyens d'achez et une information et un vecu clinique utile mais obtenu de facon souvent perilous. At combien il souchant le travail tout au long du voyage analytique et SES risques. Das concept der ALS ob, personlich Kate East in der analytician literature verschiedenlicht benutzt worden, ona zu einem festen bestantel der klinisch besierten theoretischen entwicklung zu worden. Die autorin diskutiert die grundlegen ihrer vorstellung der ALS ob, personlich Kate. We sei diesen einer Vielsel von Patienten, Patienten und Supervidierten Behandlungen in intensiven analytician langsite Behandlungen beobachtet hat. In diesem Zusammengesetzten Klinischen Bild wird eine Gruppierung von Elementen identifiziert, die eine spezielle Abwehr des Selbbilde, besonders in bestimmten Patienten, Patienten in MIT einer Ausserdwohnlichen Verheikert für Kreatives Engagement in der Welt, Welsche die in sei gesetzten Erwartungen bei weitem Übertreffen. Dieses Bild beinhaltet Korperliche Zusammenbruch und Krankheiten, weil Seelisches Leiden, das Ausfruhen Narzisstischen Verwundungen stammend und aus einer Physisch, Emotional und, oder Sexuell Missbrauchenden Familiar in Umgebung. All Zulang I am Korpergedeckness Bewart Worden Must. S Word Differenziert Swishen der ALS Ob, Personally Kate, der Persona und dem Falschen Selb. Die ALS Ob, Personally Kate hat zu tun MIT der Dissociation ALS Abwehr, die aus sehr frühen Erfahrungen der Internalisierung der Prozens eines Abwesenden Objektes stammend, und das Gefall einer inneren Leer I am Kern de Selb versucht. Gleichzeitig ist das Selb zu Vorgängen der Selb, 
Arschfung Feig, und zwar durch Syrien von Identifikationen und Internalisierungen aus anderen Ernährungskollen der Umwelt, die das Erspringliche Gefühl von Innerlier Ersetzen oder derem Harem konstruiert worden. Somit worden die Reserven der Sprunglich Geschwachten selb wieder hergestellt, aber nur bis zu einem gewissen Punkt. Bis dies Reserven aufgebraucht sind, ist das selb oft in der Lage, sich in hohem Mass durch Aktivitäten auszusetzen. Es word gesagt, das die Gegenübertragung das Middle East, um die Arbeit auf der Risikoreichen Analytischen Ries zu unterstützen, welche die Nutzlichen, mitunter auch auf Geferlich Wies erworbenen Klinischen Erfahrungen und Erkenntnis herverbringt. Ilkenseto di Personalitakum se stato usato variamente nella letteratura analitica senza che nel tempo sia entrato a far parte di uno svilupo teorico clinicamente basato. Lotris discute la basi della sua nozioni di Personalitakum se, cum osservata tramite numerosi pazienti e supervisioni di pazienti che seguivano una terapia analitica intensa e lungo termin, in questo composto quadro clinico, viene identificato un regrupparsi di elementi che formano un particolare tipo di defesa del se in alcuni pazienti dall'assezionale capacita di coinvolgimenti creativi con il mondo, che, dato il loro background, sorpassano ogni aspettativa. Tail quadro implica la presenza di un crollo fisico e di maladia, cum se la sofferenza sicica derivante da precociferite narcissistice e da un ambiente familiar fado di abusi fisici, emotivi, o sessuali, Fasi stata trattenuta per troppo tempo nella memoria del corpo. Fiene fata una distinzione tra personalità cum se, persona e falso se. La personalità cum se, ha a che vedere con lazioni di una dissociazione defensiva derivante da esperienze molto precoci di interior iser la presenza di un agheto assente, e che crea il senso di un voto interna al centro del se. Nello stesso tempo, il se capesti atti di auto crisioni mediante una succession di identificazioni e interiorizzazioni con alter sorgenti di nutrimento ambientale, che si sostituiscono e sono costruite intorno all'originario senso di voto interiori, in tal modo vengono riparate, ma solo fino ad un certo punto, la risers del se originariamente ridat. Fintantasche tele risers non vengono assorit, il se spesso capesti acceler in attivita a livelli eccezionali. Viene mostrato come il controtransfert rappresenti lo strumento per ottenere informazioni e esperienze clinic tanto utile quanto spesso pericolos, che supportano il lavoro attraverso il riscioso viaggio analitico. Il concepto della personalidad, como si, ha sido diversamente utilizzato en la literatura analitica sin haber, con el tiempo, formato parte de un clinicamente basado desarrollo teorico. La autora argumenta las bases de su pariser sobre la personalidad como si, Atraves de una cantidad de paciente y de pacientes supervisados en tratamiento intensivo y de largo tiempo. En este combinado cuadro clinico, la agrupación de elementos que forman una particular clase de defensa del self-s-identificado en ciertos pacientes con una excepcional capacidad para un compromiso creativo con el mundo, sobrepasando las expectativas de dos sus antecedentes. El cuadro incluye la presencia de deterioro físico y enfermedades. Así como el sufrimiento psíquico que surge desde las primeras heridas narcisistas y desde un entorno familiar física, emotional y, o sexualmente abusivo que fue largamente conservado en la memoria corporal. Se es una distinción entre la personalidad, como si, la persona y el falso self. La personalidad, como si, corresponde a la acción de la disociación defensiva derivada de las muy tempranas experiencias de internalizar la presencia de un objeto asente. Creando una sensación de vacío interior en el centro del self. Al mismo tiempo, el self es capaz de acciones de auto creation mediante una sucesión de identificaciones y internalizaciones con otras fuentes de nutrientes ambientales, 
Las Cuelas Sun Sustituto para la Sensación Original de Vacío Interior. De este modo son restituidas, pero solo hasta cierto punto. Las recursos del original mente disminuido self hasta que estos recursos high inside o gastados. El self es a menudo capaz de exceder en actividades hasta un grado excepcional. La contratransferencia se muestra como el medio para la obtención de util y. A menudo, peligrosa experiencia e información clínica, apoyando el trabajo durante el riesgoso viaje analítico. References <laughs>